Hi, it's Jamie. And I'm Portia. And we are Just Two Pearls. Join us for Adventures in Pearls. A reading from C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity. Give me all of you. I don't want so much of your time, so much of your talent and money, and so much of your work. I want you, all of you. I have not come to torment or frustrate the natural man or woman, but to kill it. No half measures will do. I do not want to prune a branch here and a branch there. Rather, I want the whole tree out. Hand it over to me, the whole outfit, all of your desires, all of your wants and wishes and dreams. Then turn them all over to me. Give yourself to me, and I will make you a new self in my image. Give me yourself, and in exchange, I will give you myself. My will shall become your will. My heart shall become your heart. And that is the reading of today, C.S. Lewis, on a perspective of God's desire for us in mere Christianity. So, Hmm. Portia, I have an adventure. It was just Thanksgiving weekend, and I stayed in Los Angeles. So it was my first Thanksgiving kind of completely on my own, making it up as I went along. I actually had a lot of fun. God is good. Uh, I definitely did not feel like I was, like, alone and just kind of hanging out by myself. So that was awesome. But, Portia, we have a friend from Divinity School who I'm sure you remember, Hiram Brett. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, Hiram wrote to me recently because he is uh, preparing for ordination and he wanted to invite me. And I was like, listen, dude, uh, I don't live in your time zone, so. <laughs> it was going to be real hard for me to make it out on a Sunday afternoon for an hour. <laughs> and so um, I told him that I was living in Los Angeles, and he told me that he has a daughter in Los Angeles. And I was like, oh, who knew? Um, so anyway, so he connected the two of us. And so yesterday she invited me to something called Afro House, which is something that um, she helps coordinate. And I did not know what to expect. She told me that it was in the arts district. And so I thought I was going to an art show, Portia. No, 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 as Georgina would say and get out. That is not <laughs> what I was going to. I was going to something way better than that because I'm not really into, like, looking at art on walls. Like, no shade to that. It's just not really my thing. It was so much better than that, Portia. So I go to this building and it's just kind of like a warehouse and um you know it's all like super like colorful and painted so I'm kind of walking around the building because I don't even know where I'm supposed to go in you know it's kind of like that level of artsy where you know you kind of just have to like follow the vibes to know where you're trying to go so anyway <laughs> so I go into the warehouse and you know I just follow the black people at a certain point went upstairs and they were like behind this closed door right so like in my head I'm like freaking out a little bit like what am I about to find behind these closed doors Portia, it was lit. It was um, a celebration of indigenous culture. So there were California Indians there who were blessing the space. There was a black woman there who she is um, a visual artist. And so she was like live painting the entire time and did this like beautiful piece of art that she was going to um, donate to um, and any indigenous group. Um, and that she was going to, um, you know, obviously like give the pro, you know, give the proceeds or give the proceeds to that group. I guess that's the right way to say it. Sell it and give the proceeds to that group. They were um, performing like live music. Um, there was dancing, and um, well, you know this from having been like around like New York arts 
Um, and the same is true in LA arts. It's like people are like really, 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 really talented. They're like not just playing their guitar because they like playing their guitar. They're playing their guitar because they are like super talented. Um, so there were like these soul groups that were like amazing. The only one that I have the name of is called Black Noise. I didn't get the names of the other groups because I didn't have a program to look at. But anyway, it was just so incredible. And so Hiram's daughter, I didn't know, she like coordinated this. And she's been doing this like since July where like she's just kind of celebrating all these artists of color and bringing them together. And they like perform one afternoon a month. And she is a rapper, like a really, really, really good rapper, Portia. So Hiram was just like, oh, yeah, I have a daughter who lives out there. I'm like, I need to write back to Hiram and be like, you didn't tell me you have like a crazy talented daughter who lives in Los Angeles. It's so funny. <laughs> you never know, Portia. You just be sitting in class next to somebody. You don't know what they do. You don't know what their kids are up to. People are mad talented out here in these streets. So I just want to celebrate Black excellence and uh, thank Hiram for connecting me with his daughter um, and, of course, thank her for being, like, talented and cool. And um, y'all support Black artists. It's really difficult, I think. Um, Portia and I talk about this, you know, kind of the difficulties of making it as women in ministry um, or trying to make it as a black entrepreneur, um, trying to make it as a black business, trying to make it as a black person, period, in terms of being able to do what you love and pay your bills. It's really hard in general. Uh, but Portia knows this, obviously, from having a sister who's an artist. It is, like, really, really hard to be a black artist. So um, anytime you have an opportunity to support um, black artists or black performers, black people in business, take the opportunity because black people do great stuff and we need to support each other. That's in my adventure. That's a really good one. <laughs> that is really, really great. And yes, I co-sign with you. Support black artists. Like, like you know, there's a, the, the running joke of like, oh, like the starving artist or like the struggle is real. But no, like it really is difficult sometimes to break into in the industry as an artist, um, whether it be visual, whether it be dance, or whether it be artistic and music, or as a musician, I guess it's music, or singing or acting on stage or on film. It's difficult. And so for all of those artists out there who are listening, um, stay encouraged. We love y'all. We appreciate y'all. <laughs> and, and Jamie, I think you would even agree that, you know, we're kind of like pseudo artists a little bit, you know, as, as a pastors, you know, preachers, preaching is an art form. I'm trying to give us a little bit of credit, but you know. <laughs> it is. And preaching is an art um, in so itself. It's not a science. So shout out to mm -hmm. us, Jamie. <laughs> Speaking of preaching, girl, who did we talk to this week? So we talked to the one and the only Timothy Levi Jones, the Reverend soon-to-be doctor, Reverend uh, Timothy Levi Jones, so all of that goodness. Um, he came on to our show. We invited him to come speak with us to answer some of your questions, the big faith questions. And we are so delighted um, just to have him on the show that he was able to share, um, as Jamie and I both know him um, pretty, pretty well um, in different mm -hmm. spaces, but we know him. So we're, we're pretty grateful that he joined us um, this week. And so, uh, Jamie, anything you want to say before we get into our show? No, girl, let's just get into it. Uh, without further right. ado, here is Reverend Timothy Levi-Jones. Hey, Pearl. So glad that you're here with us for another episode of Just Two Pearls. Today we are going to be engaging some of your questions, questions that you have had for us. And we have a very, very special guest with us today, and our guest, is none other 
then the Reverend Timothy Levi Jones, the senior pastor of the Bethany Baptist Church of Newark, New Jersey. And if you're wondering if that happens to be the church in which I'm serving, you've got it right. So we're so grateful and thankful that he is here with us. I'm just going to share a little bit of his bio and introduce him before we get into this conversation. The Reverend Timothy Levi Jones is a native of Richmond, Virginia. He is serving as a senior pastor of the Bethany Baptist Church of Newark, New Jersey, as I have mentioned. Get to know the name. Amen. He is the former senior pastor of Community Baptist Church of New Haven, where he has also served at Yale Divinity School as an adjunct professor of homiletics and also served as an adjunct professor of Baptist polity. In New Haven, he served as the co-chair of the clergy caucus as a member of the strategy team for CONNECT, which stands for Congregations Organized for a New Connecticut, a nonpartisan multi-faith organization seeking social and economic change through policy and relationship. Reverend Jones is also a PhD student at the Boston University School of Theology, where he uh, is getting a PhD in practical theology. He's also a homiletician, y'all, so that means preaching is his thing. He's also a very proud member of the Kappa Alpha Psi Fraternity Incorporated, and he's also a former college basketball player. He enjoys comic books, movies, and working out. And he is the father of three beautiful children, Sophia, Ezekiel, and Isabella. We're so glad to have you here with us, Pastor Tim. Thank you for having me. I'm so, I'm so honored to be with the Pearls this evening. Thank you. You're not going to say first give an honor to God and to the, to the angels of this house. <laughs> who, is the, who, is the head of, who is the head of my life? Uh, well, I certainly want to give honor to the angels of this particular podcast, uh, to a uh, woman of God who I know uh, quite well and I'm quite uh, both impressed and proud of. And so uh, we often say in Preacher Talk, you know, honored to be here and all those sorts of things. But I actually truly, truly mean it. I, I am honored to be a guest. I've been listening for a little while now, so I know the kind of people you have had uh, on here. So I'm just doing my best not to, not to uh, embarrass myself. Amen. <laughs> well, thank you for being here. And we have uh, four questions that we have received from our listeners that we would love to get your take on. And so we're just going to kind of dive right in. And so sure. on a previous episode in the spring, right after Easter, believe it or not, Reverend Portia and I spent some time on the topic of Jesus as a crucified criminal and um, what that looks like for us now as bodies of color, where we often find ourselves as victims of the mass incarceration system and police surveillance and whatnot. And so one of our listeners did write in just to ask the question, what do you mean that Jesus was a criminal and that he was crucified because he was a criminal? What are your thoughts on that, Pastor Tim? Well, I think it's interesting that of all of the different uh, ways that we use to talk about Jesus, all the, uh, the wonderful images of lamb and uh, door and shepherd, uh, we don't often include criminal on that list, uh, though it is the most uh, literally accurate. Now, you would be hard to disconnect, uh, in fact, impossible to disconnect Jesus' status as a criminal uh, when he was crucified from uh, his mission and task uh, here on this earth. I mean, he, yes, he was slain on uh, behalf of our sins, and yes, he, he died, he gave up his life, but uh, at the end of the day, he was captured uh, in the garden uh, as a criminal uh, because he was a threat to the uh, imperial power of the state. And so they came uh, and got him. So I think it, it serves as a, as a great point of entry uh, as we are in, in relation, as we 
think about our uh, position as people of color uh, in America specifically uh, and as folk who have to deal with in the um, criminal justice system on such a, a regular basis. And one of my favorite ways of talking about Jesus is that he was uh, one who was uh, locked up on trumped-up charges, uh, that ultimately he, like many of our sisters and brothers, uh, was captured by the state uh, on charges that, that weren't accurate. Uh, and his, his sentence was literally a case of uh, the crime or the punishment not fitting in the crime when the crime was non-existent and the punishment was the ultimate one. Awesome. Thank you for sharing your perspective on that because that's such a that's such an important conversation for us to be having with Jesus as a crucified criminal and like understanding what that means. And so, thank you to the one who submitted that question because it was really important when we brought that up um, during our show regarding uh, the resurrection and Easter. And so the next few questions are going to kind of surround sexuality, human sexuality, and, and things of that sort. So that's been kind of a hot topic. So since we have quite a few um, thoughts and questions regarding that, we're going to just kind of just shoot them at you, uh, Pastor Tim. And so... <laughs> What does the Bible, haha, the Bible, right, this foundational text that we have, right, that, that, that we kind of built our, um, our faith around and our religiosity, so to speak, on, right, and some of our orthodoxies based on this biblical text. What does the Bible say about homosexuality and premarital sex? Are they actually sins? Dun, dun, dun. This is, uh, like you said, this is certainly one of the, the hot topics and something that here at Bethany we actually – are uh, talking about um, in Bible study right now and have been really for a little while. So I think really when you begin a question with what does the Bible say, uh, you really have to back up and ask what, what is the Bible uh, and, mm. and what is happening in the Bible that allows us to continue to wrestle with it uh, these centuries later. And so uh, the Bible, as we would purport in good black Baptist faction, uh, fashion, is, is indeed uh, the word of God. Uh, and, you know, Baptists would say it's inerrant and infallible. Uh, and I might continue to use those words, but certainly would uh, remix their meaning. Uh, for me, that means... Uh, that this is uh, God's words for us, certainly, but something that we have to wrestle with on a regular basis. Uh, and if we come out with a limp, that's probably good because it's mean we've been blessed uh, in the process and that we also have to be willing to say no to the Bible on occasion, at least no to uh, some of the tried and true and standard ways of understanding what's in the Bible. So with that said, I uh, think about what the Bible says about homosexuality and premarital sex in particular, and really sexuality more generally, I think the truth is not much. That is, it doesn't say really anything about homosexuality and premarital sex in the ways that we understand those terms today. Uh, our sexual mores and our understandings about uh, orientation and, and just sex in general are completely different than what's going on in the Bible. Sex in the Bible is, is structured through a very particular lens of, of patriarchy and just male reproduction, uh, to be honest. And women uh, in the biblical text, particularly as it relates to sexuality uh, and marriage even, uh, is very much, women are, are very much understood to be uh, property, and so the texts that deal most directly about homosexual uh, homosexuality and premarital sex are really are working from this construct of uh, how how do men govern themselves sexually in a way that will be in a very particular relationship to women as property. So, in other words, how do how do we maintain 
this property relationship? How do we keep uh, women pure uh, so that they can then be essentially sold, really, uh, to other families? You know, you think about dowries and just how families were set up and, and spread around. So, so to that end, when you see texts, uh, in like Leviticus, for example, that talk about you know men not laying with men, um, and you can't take them out of the context of what else is going on uh, in that passage. And so, in some of those chapters, there's these long lists of all of the kinds of people uh, that uh, men are not supposed to sleep with, uh, and it goes through really a, a kind of 360 degree take on almost literally every. Uh, every kind of relationship that a man could have, whether it be, uh, you know, his, his sister's wife, his, his, his sister, his uh, father's second wife. I mean, it just goes all the way around. Um, and included in uh, this passage is, is also um, man shouldn't lay with a man and a man shouldn't lay with an animal. So all, and you all, also a man shouldn't lay with uh, a woman who's on her menstrual cycle. And so the, the thing that ties all of these relationships together um, is the fact that each of them uh, would be incapable of producing what would be deemed uh, legitimate heirs, right? So you couldn't have a quote-unquote uh, legitimate child with your uh, sister or your uh, father's second wife or et cetera on down the line in the same way that you couldn't have, again, uh, speaking at the times, a legitimate child with a man or with an animal. So this, so, But this verse... Uh, it's just an example of the kind of verse, the kind of text of tear, other uh, some scholars would call it, uh, that is taken out of context and then used uh, to be applied to uh, homosexuality the way that we think about it today, which, again, is a completely different thing uh, that was happening in that text. Uh, and really, any of uh, the biblical texts all the way through, um, not just the Old Testament, I know I picked the Leviticus passage, but if you look at these texts of terror in the Old Testament and the New, what is being uh, spoken about is, again, very different than um, what, we, what we're talking about today. Uh, another of those texts that has done, I think, great harm to the church and to, uh, to, to young people and young women in particular are the texts that, that we sort of draw this idea of, of soul ties from. Um, of, and the, the passage that talks about um, uh, not being joined with uh, prostitutes because then, you know, your body is a temple and then you are joined with one, which, again, is not about premarital sex the way that we're talking about it, but it's, in, it's about uh, a kind of worship back in the day uh, that involved uh, having sex literally with temple prostitutes. Again, it's completely different than what we're thinking about uh, what we're talking about when we're talking about homosexuality or even premarital sex. And so, uh, so I want to back up and slightly change my answer. So I, I do think the Bible talks about sexuality, but frankly, it's not in the passages that are most directly talking about sex. So in other words, if we were trying to develop a sexual ethic, you know, how we can be good stewards of our whole selves, which certainly includes our sexuality, uh, the verses that we look to are the same kind of verses we look to that, uh, describe our entire lives and uh, in our entire lives in Christ. Things that talk about how we treat one another, how we care for one another, and how are we stewards uh, of our bodies and recognize that we are fearful and wonderfully made on, on down the line. And so I think the Bible does have something to say about how we operate as sexual beings in the world, uh, but it is really not tied to those texts of terror that I think we have often used uh, to try to make homosexuality and to make premarital sex uh, sins. 
Uh, and so to answer that, um, to answer that, the second half of that question um, more directly, are they actually sins? I, 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 I want to say no. Uh, not, so not, again, not the way that I think the church has typically talked about it and has typically uh, understood it uh, to be. Um, I remember uh, about a month or so ago, uh, we had a uh, conversation with some of the young adults here at Bethany. We were just talking about, you know, what we have learned from the church um, as it pertains to sex, and the prevailing answer was not much. Or, or if we had learned anything, it was don't do it, or don't do it until you're married. And that was almost the extent of teaching in and around sexuality. A lot of folk, that, many of which didn't even grow up here, but just so a, a good uh, a good diversity of, of regions and places uh, would suggest to me that it's somewhat pervasive, a kind of lack of real deep conversation in and around what the Bible actually does say um, about sexuality and then how it's been damaging to us as well. Great. You are totally the right person to have on the show to answer that question. I'm nodding my head. I'm like a bobblehead over here. (laughs) Uh, What I want to emphasize to our listeners is a couple of things. First of all, what you said about how we serve God and others with our whole lives. And I think that's so important to name that our sexualities are an extension of who we are and how we feel. And so we should strive to honor ourselves and others and God with our bodies in all times and all places. Uh, so I completely agree. I think it's, it's extended. It's, it, it ties into our larger ethical formations, not just, okay, well, what do I do sexually? But it's like, how does that, how does that tie into the larger Christian ethics that I have? So we can't separate sexuality from other types of Christian ethics that we practice. Uh, But secondarily, thinking about the Bible and thinking about the Bible like critically as a text. And as you've said, um, as Baptists, we sometimes are, all of us on the phone are Baptists. We were Baptist born and Baptist (laughs) bred and all that. Um, And so sometimes, (laughs) so we do have this really strong idea foundationally that the Bible is inerrant. And I think one of the things that seminary education encourages us to do is to understand the Bible as a text that was compiled in a particular way to share particular messages. And so I do think, especially when we're thinking about um, some of these, especially Hebrew Bible texts, but even texts from um, the Gospels and the rest of the New Testament, we really need to think about the text. Not only what does it say, but second of all, what is the spirit of the text and what was the historical context in which it was written and not just literally what appears on the page. Um, but I do want to do a quick follow-up question before I move on to our um, third question that we have for you. Um, which is for our listeners who might not know, can you just explain what you mean when you use the phrase text of terror? Oh, text of terror. So this is a a phrase that uh, I certainly didn't uh, originate, but it is a a way of talking about some of the biblical – uh, some of the biblical passages, when you read them on their face, that are literally terrifying, that they – without – uh, deep analysis or, or the kind of engagement that you just uh, were speaking of can lead to, are, are either terrifying just uh, the, reading them, and so they, they, they should, I would say, uh, cause a reaction in us, or have been terrifying in the ways that they've been used to batter uh, communities. Uh, there are passages, for example, that talk about um, what might be described as quote-unquote premarital sex, that if a, in uh, Leviticus, I believe that if a, if a man... Um, finds that his uh, betrothed wife uh, wasn't a virgin uh, when, uh, when they were married, that uh, there should be a, a public stoning, which is a terrifying text to me. Um, and then 
how, what do you do with a text like that? And so there's great care and work in working through, just like you said, what, does, what was going on, what is being said, what's the spirit of the text, what's behind it, how do we, how do we handle it? So, yeah, so those are the texts that, that literally, I would say, uh, have caused terror or even still to this day caused terror, uh, particularly without the uh, kind of in-depth engagement that we've been talking about. Right on. And, yes, if you all want to read more about that, there's a book, a 1984 book, so it's kind of kind of old, depending on your it's perspective a on uh, time. Um, <laughs> but anyway, um, it's called Texas Terror by Phyllis Tribble. It's a feminist uh, reading of a lot of uh, the Bible. So anyway, let's move on to our third question. It's another kind of hot topic question um, about the issue of transgenderism. And the uh, person who wrote the question just asked, what is your Christian perspective on being transgender? Well, I, for first, I appreciate the the um, the phrasing of the question because I think that's probably true. It needs to be said for for all these answers. These are to my best takes, uh, certainly spirit led and informed by by study. But my best takes on all of these issues, particularly as they are indeed hot button issues. And one of the things that I enjoy about pastoring is being able to engage these questions communally. And so that even sitting as pastor, I never want to really sit as quote-unquote expert or as a know-it-all, uh, as if I have all, all the answers, but instead uh, that we in uh, community are trying to discern the answers uh, to these. And so, again, uh, answering a question about uh, transgenderism, genderism for me is very similar to what we were just talking about in terms of sexuality and homosexuality, premarital sex, is that, again, this is a concept that is, um, is foreign to the 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 text uh, the text original context this so to again to think about what this means or how this works et cetera and what the Bible says um, is takes great work it takes again developing the same kind of ethic that we were talking about and how we live our entire lives and so I certainly won't say oh that is a sin um, and that can't be done um, because I don't believe the Bible says that and I don't believe that um, God believes that either. Um, I am uh, very much uh, supportive of, of our LGBTQIA uh, community. Uh, and, um, and so, yes, I don't, I don't think the Bible certainly doesn't um, say that this is a sin or this is, this is wrong, uh, but it talks about how we treat and how we love and how we care for everyone in our community, particularly those that are uh, the least of these. And so another thing to think about, uh, when we think about any marginalized groups, and I think it's safe to say that the stats uh, bear out, um, and even in, in many ways public, um, public sentiment in some ways bear out, that our transgender community is very much a marginalized community. And so you may want to back up and say, well, what does the Bible say about how we treat and how we care for uh, those that Thurman might say that have their backs up against the wall? Um, and so that is that's very clear. Jesus' first first sermon, as it were, uh, talks about who he came to be here for and what he came to do and, um, and how he's come to set the captives free and, and free those that are uh, imprisoned in the year of Jubilee, uh, all of those things. So I, it, this is, again, very much a marginalized community that the church's first response should be to care and to love, and then I think to put ourselves in a posture of listening and understanding. And I think that will help all of our churches become uh, more open to loving the uh, transgender community the way uh, that I truly believe God has called us to. This is really, really rich. Um, Pearls, I really hope, actually we hope, that you're really getting a lot out of this in terms of, like, bringing multiple perspectives to the table and having the conversation. And I think 
that it's important for clergy, it's important for congregants and disciples to come together to have conversation around these things because the only way that we will grow better and deeper in our love and in our faith is if we open up the table to have conversation Um, or even to know that the table is present to begin with. Pastor Tim, we want to now move to one more question in the spirit of love and I think all of what uh, my personally, what I believe Jesus embodies, um, and that is the spirit of opening and affirming. And so for you as a pastor of a congregation, what does it mean for a church to call itself opening and affirming? So the, the phrase open and affirming uh, was created by the United Church of Christ uh, some years ago now to, uh, to, use, to be used kind of as a um, – a label of sorts uh, for churches that affirmed full inclusions of the LGBTQIA uh, uh, community. And so many, so you'll see it oftentimes uh, displayed by rainbows, uh, rainbow flags on outside of uh, churches. And so it's a designation, a really designation to this community. Hey, this is a church that is open and affirming. And this means um, the church is not only open to uh, members of this community being a part, but also are affirming of um, LGBTQ folks' uh, identities. And so I, I think the distinction is important because I think that we've reached a point where a lot of churches are open to uh, this particular community in such a way that there may not be the kind of Bible-thumping, you know, uh, gay folk are going to hell kind of stuff that's coming from the pulpit, and, uh, and people may operate from a kind of don't ask, don't tell uh, policy. Um, and I think sometimes people's theology is such that, hey, Everybody sins, and so who am I to uh, who am I to point out one person's sin as being worse than uh, my own? And so I, you know, so hey, everybody, hey, everybody's got problems, and so I love everybody. And and while I appreciate the the sentiment behind it, um, I think it, it it certainly doesn't represent the love that Christ calls us to. Um, and in some ways, is is like a backhanded compliment or a backhanded acceptance um, because. I really don't feel like we're called to accept folks' identities as a sinful aspect of their being, but instead to affirm this as part of who God has made them to be. So then, so when a church is then open and affirming, this is a church saying not only are we open to this community, but we also are affirming of uh, who you are, who God has made you to be, um, and we are uh, – you know, are open to your full participation in uh, in the worship community. You're not going to put you know barriers on what you can and can't do, and uh, have communion, not communion, those sorts of things. But that you are uh, completely, uh, completely affirmed in who you are. We love you. Uh, we uh, we appreciate you, and uh, we want you to be a part of this uh, particular community. Fantastic! I'm over here trying to keep my lips sealed because I'm like, Amen. <laughs> <laughs> Because I completely agree with you. I think so often we've gotten into a habit in so many churches of all walks um, of saying, oh, well, you know, if there was, uh, or even knowing that there are couples in the church who might be uh, in same-sex partnerships or knowing, okay, this person, um, you know, whatever, whatever kind of walk of life that they have, and we say, oh, well, we've loved this particular person, so that's all that matters, instead of really engaging truly with what is this person's real lived experience. And I think if we call ourselves family, uh, the family of God, which is something that Scripture makes it very clear throughout uh, the Gospels and all the epistles, that it is our job to be family to one another. We have to give more than just the, okay, I love you. 
and we have to actually engage with what does it mean to love each other and to be family and to understand that we're only the body of Christ. We're only as you know, strong as our weakest link. So how do we really hold each other up and take care of each other? So I think that's really important. Not only are we open to people, but a lot of churches are open right. to people. We want members. Sure. <laughs> but do we actually affirm sure. uh, everyone who walks through our doors? So I think that's, that's really important. Um, anything that you have to add, Ms. Portia? Anything that I have to add, I just want to say, um, Pastor Tim, you are just all things wonderful, um, and we are very <laughs> grateful that, um, well, that you. you are. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm very grateful. We are very grateful that you decided to take time out of your day just to engage some of our listeners with some, some of their own questions. And I think part of the truth-telling and part of the honesty um, is, that Jamie and I, even though we know we know a lot, you know, I'm going to be like, yo, Jamie, we popping. We know a lot. Um, but also knowing, <laughs> you know, that we have wisdom to know that we can also engage um, some of our other clergy colleagues. So um, just a couple weeks ago we had Reverend Shelley with us and talking about mm. the spirit of sisterhood, um, you know, and we're also talking to you um, just to answer some listener questions and then also talking to some of our peers as well, um, you know, with our bow ties who are around our age. Um, and just engaging um, clergy colleagues and clergy, seasoned clergy, just to have dialogue and conversation because it's a community, you know, it truly is. And so we're always so grateful when you all take time out just to have a conversation because the table is open and the table is set and we're all, we all have a place here. Yeah, I just wanted Thank to just give that great uh, moment of thanks. <laughs> Portia is such a good associate. That is a good associate. You come in a little late tomorrow. It's all right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Reverend Tim, I'm so yeah. uh, you are at Bethany Baptist Church in Newark, New Jersey. So first of all, can yeah. you tell people uh, how to connect with your church? But also, um, if you can tell people where they can, you also have. Um, pop in social media, so tell people how to find you personally as well. <laughs> uh, sure. So our website is uh, bethany-newark.org. Uh, we have uh, Facebook pages, uh, you know, uh, Twitter page uh, as well, uh, just a simple search of uh, Bethany Newark. Um, and then I can be found on uh, and where do you, media. And when do you worship? Oh, uh, we have uh, Sunday morning services at uh, 8 and 11, uh, noonday uh, service at, on Wednesdays. Uh, and then our Bible study, uh, where we're really engaging a lot of these issues right now, is on uh, Thursday evenings, uh, prayer service at 7, and then uh, service itself, uh, Bible study, I should say, at uh, 7.30. Oh, and I, I'm, on, I'm on social media at uh, PastorTim33 is my, uh, my handle on the, on the Twitters and the, the Instagrams. Fantastic. Well, thank you again, Pastor Tim Simich, for taking the time to engage with some of our listener questions. And remember Thank to you. cultivate the pearl within you. I'm working on it. All right, Portia, I got to talk about something real, real petty, girl. And this is, I hope, going to be seasonally appropriate for everyone. So we just had Thanksgiving, and now, of course, Christmas is a few weeks away. We get excited. And y'all are also, you have to remember, this is in the petty part, but you have to remember, if, for those of us who are Christians, um, Christmas is a, just as much about um, a theological thing as it is about the, um, all of the uh, commerce and capitalism that we've added to it. So make sure you do enough of both if you're a Christian. But one thing that both 
Thanksgiving and Christmas are definitely about is eating. And in black community, we sometimes eat a little bit differently than they do in other communities. And so, first, let me just tell you something that's real petty. When we're watching the Food Network, there was this video that was going around before Thanksgiving. We all saw the articles. I saw you sharing some of these articles um, on Facebook. You just need to know the right recipe to cook for where you're going. Let me just put it that way. <laughs> like, y'all, there was this, y'all, y'all know, because I've told you on the show before, like, I'm a connoisseur of macaroni and cheese. But, like, make sure it's actually macaroni and cheese or at least something close enough to macaroni and cheese for it to be passable to me. This Food Network video that was going around with the woman putting the Brussels sprouts and the Dijon mustard and stuff in her macaroni and cheese, and they were like, oh, yes, yum, this is great. I don't know what that woman made, but let me tell you for sure she shouldn't have been calling it macaroni and cheese. And it might have tasted great. I believe those people. But they shouldn't have been like, oh, yeah, this is a brand-new macaroni and cheese recipe. No, it's not. Get your recipe right. If you're trying to make some baked macaroni and cheese, make some baked macaroni and cheese. If you're trying to make something else, you can make something else. Just be honest and real about it. So if you're going to a black Thanksgiving, if you're going to the Caucasian, the Anglo Thanksgiving, if you're going to um, a Latino Thanksgiving or Christmas, I guess this is what's coming up now. There's a new holiday coming up. But, y'all, it comes around every year. So just be ready. Just make sure, just, just get your recipes right. And don't, don't call anything outside of what it should be called. You know, if, you're, if you made some spaghetti, this is true all year round. Like, don't, don't be like, oh, yeah, I remixed the spaghetti. No, it just ate spaghetti. You messed up your spaghetti. Just be honest. And we might like whatever you made, but it's not spaghetti. Y'all, y'all need to come correct with this food. But happy holidays, though. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at just 2 Pearls. And you can email us at adventures at just2pearls.com. And remember, cultivate the pearl within you.